Jason Collins stands seven feet tall, about 255 pounds, attended Stanford University, was the 18th pick in the 2001 NBA draft to the Houston Rockets, played for 13 seasons with six different teams. The Sports Illustrated issue dated May the 6th, 2013, included a first-person piece that he had written. He, he wrote it about himself, and he, as they say, came out of the closet and self-identified as a gay. Now, this was significant because he was the first major sport athlete in the United States to do so. First athlete from baseball, football, basketball, or hockey to come out and say that they were living a homosexual, practicing homosexual lifestyle. Now, the article actually appeared before the magazine got to your house, if you subscribe to Sports Illustrated. The article appeared on April the 29th, 2013, on ESPN's website. That same day, Chris Broussard, let me put him up there. Chris Broussard was on, he's an ESPN commentator, and he was on a show called Outside the Lines. And he was asked, now listen carefully what he was asked, he was asked his personal opinion about Jason Collins coming out of the closet writing the article that he did. Here's part of what Chris Broussard said when he was asked his personal opinion. I'm a Christian. I don't agree with homosexuality. I think it's a sin as I think all sex outside of marriage between a man and a woman, whatever. Personally, I don't believe you can live an openly homosexual lifestyle or an openly premarital sexual lifestyle between heterosexuals if you're openly living those types of lifestyles and the Bible says you know them by their fruits. It says that it's a sin. If you're openly living in unrepentant sin, whatever it may be, not just homosexuality, adultery, fornication, premarital sex between heterosexuals, whatever it may be, he said, I believe that's walking in open rebellion to God and to Jesus Christ. So he, he was clear. He said, personally, I believe, because that's what they ask him. What do, you, what do you personally believe about this? And so he told them, well, if you know anything about Twitter, you know about hashtags, the hashtag fire Chris Broussard went viral. I mean, people all over were calling for him to be fired. Variety, BuzzFeed, Deadspin, several websites said uh, they mocked him. A writer for Yahoo Sports, Kelly Dwyer, wrote this. The last thing gay youths need is to see someone like Chris Boussard, who ESPN, and by extension the NBA, trust as its voice, both at games and in studio, to, refer, to be referring to them as sinners who are in open rebellion to God. ESPN actually apologized for his remarks. We're in a series entitled The Elephant in the Room. The elephant in the room, and this is, this is a metaphorical idiom that refers to something that everybody acknowledges, but they really don't want to talk about. When we were putting this series together, um, Ben and I talked this week, our, our South Campus pastor, I don't know what I was thinking when I put the order together, because probably the two most difficult messages in the series are back-to-back. -back. Last week, we dealt with the subject of abortion. This week, we deal with the subject of homosexuality, two of the biggest social issues of our day. I've entitled today's message, Exchanging the Natural for the Unnatural. Take your Bible, open it to Romans chapter 1. I'm going to read two verses in Romans chapter 1, 
you probably want to keep it open. We may refer to some other verses there as well. Romans chapter 1, going to read verses 26 and 27. I invite you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. God, help us to understand the implication of this passage and others. Speak truth. Lord, help us simply to listen for your word today. And then help us to apply it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. With an issue like this or a text like this, there are two temptations that pastors face. The first temptation is to always harangue on the social issues of the day. You know, beat them into the ground. I have pastor friends over in East Tennessee. Most of them pastor small churches, and it doesn't matter what the text is, they're going to preach the same sermon. They'll start off with a text, but basically they end up preaching, you know, the don't cuss, drink, smoke, or chew, or go with girls who do, right? It's the same sermon all the time. And so that's one temptation is to just constantly hammer the social ills uh, uh, of our nation. The second temptation is to simply bypass the text, to tread lightly because you don't want to be controversial. And so a temptation for pastors is to ignore certain texts. I hope that I'm not guilty of either one of those approaches. I certainly don't want to stand and bash people, but I also don't want to avoid issues. I want to be true to the Word of God. There are a lot of denominations that are dealing with the issue of homosexuality. Can, they, can practicing homosexuals be members? Can they be members of the clergy? Several denominations have decided that they can. The United Methodist Church, the Episcopal Church, the American Baptist churches left it up to the individual church to decide. Thankfully, Southern Baptists have made a stance. Now, Southern Baptist churches are autonomous. There's no hierarchy. There's no one who can come in and tell us, this is what you have to believe in order to be a Southern Baptist church. All right? We're autonomous. We, we're an entity in and of ourselves. We choose to cooperate with the Warren Association of Baptists, the Kentucky Baptist Convention, and the Southern Baptist Convention. Now, we choose to do that, and if we hold to something that they disagree with, they can disfellowship us. Basically, what that means is, don't send us your money. We're not interested in being your partner anymore. Back in 2014, I had the opportunity to serve as the Kentucky Baptist Convention president, and we, had, we actually had to disfellowship a church over the issue of homosexuality. The Crescent Hill Baptist Church in Louisville their pastor, young pastor, had come out and said that he was going to begin performing same-sex marriages, that they were going to allow practicing homosexuals to be members of their church and also to even be on their staff as ministers of the gospel. We gave him an opportunity to step away quietly. You know, we said, look, let's not make this an issue. You know what the end result is going to be, and so why don't you just kind of step away? You go your way, we'll go ours. He wanted his 30 seconds of fame, and so he refused to go his own way, made the, made the convention meeting to vote, and we had to vote to basically kick them out of the Kentucky Baptist Convention. Now, we don't have a creed. We have a confession of our faith. The Baptist Faith and Message 2000 describes what we believe, all right? 
you may not believe every single word the way that it is written, but Article 18, which is the last of, of the Baptist Faith and Message, deals with the family. And I pulled out a couple of sentences because I want you to understand what we believe as Southern Baptists. Marriage is the uniting of one man and one woman in covenant commitment for a lifetime. The husband and wife are of equal worth before God since both are created in God's image. That's what we affirm as Southern Baptists, that we believe that God intended for marriage to be between a man and a woman, that it was to be a covenant that should last a lifetime. It's more than just a ceremony. We believe that it's a covenant with one another and with God. And we believe that um, men and women are of equal value because they both have been created in the image of God. Now, the context of our text here, back in verse 18, Paul writes, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Those who suppress the truth in unrighteous living, he says that God's judgment is, is, being, is, is being poured out, is, being, is, is coming, it's revealed from heaven. Verses 19 and 20, he talks about everybody having some sort of light of who God is, that God has revealed himself. And, and the implication is if we turn towards the light and try to pursue finding out who God is, that, that he will reveal more to us of who he is. But if we turn from the light and continue to walk in darkness, he lists a, a bunch of sinful behaviors that we'll walk deeper and deeper into and our life will become darker and darker. Three things I want you to understand today. The first thing is this. Our culture insists that some things are true if you listen to the culture about the issue of homosexuality they insist that certain things are true so i want to address those this morning from god's word the first thing they insist is true is that homosexuals are created that way they're born that way our culture teaches that they were born that they don't become homosexuals that they were created they they believe just as I was born blue-eyed, they were born homosexual. Just as I was born left-handed, they were born homosexual. That's what they believe, that they were created that way. The idea of a gay gene came from Dr. Simon LeVay of the Salk, Salk Institute. He was doing autopsies back in 1993 on the brains of heterosexuals and homosexuals, and he noticed a difference in the, the way the brains uh, were. And uh, so he said that it was a genetic difference, that their brain literally was different, and that's why they were the way they are. Um, now, you need to understand that he was not unbiased in his opinion because Dr. LeVay was a practicing, openly confessing homosexual. And so he had a reason, I think, to say what he said. Let's talk about the science prove that. Dr. Mark Breedlove of Michigan State University is a neuroscientist and a psychology professor. He found that the sexual behavior changes the brain, not vice versa. The brain's not changed and lives out then in sexual behavior. He found that it's the sexual behavior that changes the brain. Here's what he said. Quote, these findings give us proof that we what we theoretically know to be the case, that sexual experience can alter the structure of the brain just as genes can alter it. It is possible that differences in sexual behavior cause rather than are caused by differences in the brain structure. There's a website, Scientist Daily. It's often cited. It's an academic website that's often cited by professors in papers. Their website, I, I read this week, said this, most scientists agree that it is unlikely that there is a single gay gene 
that determines something as complex as sexual orientation. It was interesting. I, I was reading about eight different studies this week in New Zealand, the United States, and Scandinavia. Eight different studies of identical twins. And the idea was that if there is a gay gene, see, if you're an identical twin, you have the same DNA. You, ha you have the same prenatal care and, and, and everything. So it would make sense that if one of the twins is a practicing homosexual because they are genetically made that way and they can't help it, that both twins should be practicing homosexuals. And so they studied identical twins. What they found was with identical male twins, if one was a homosexual, the likelihood that the other one would be was 11%. With females, if one was a lesbian, the, the, the chances are that the other one would be a lesbian was 14%. Now, Dr. Neil Whitehead said this. Because they have identical DNA, if one twin is gay, the other should be 100% of the time. He says if it's genetic, they both should be gay 100% of the time. They want, us to, they want us to believe that homosexuals are created that way. Secondly, they want us to believe that homosexuals cannot change. That they cannot change. Doc, the late Dr. Nicolosi was a uh, clinical psychologist who believed that homosexuality could be changed. Believed it was a treatable disorder and he came up with something called reparative therapy. Now some people look at Dr. Nicolosi as a quack that in, in, in his ability to, to say that they can change from that behavior to another behavior. But let's hold his reparative therapy idea up to Scripture. Does Scripture teach that? In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, which are male homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such what? Were. Past tense. Such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Paul doesn't write to the church and say, and such are some of you. He says, and such were some of you. So they had changed. Obviously, they had changed. What changed them? He says that they were washed in the blood of Christ. They were sanctified by the Holy Spirit of God, and they were justified by the Lord our God. That's what changed them. And so in one sense, Dr. Nicolosi's right. Reparative therapy works, and the way that you practice reparative therapy Therapy, the, the best way is to lead somebody to faith in Jesus. Because if the sun sets you free, you're free indeed. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. The third thing that society insists that we embrace is that it is a conventional sexual practice. That it's absolutely normal. School textbooks across the nation, even beginning on the elementary school age, they're, they're called health sciences textbooks, and they're teaching that there are three normal sexual orientations. Heterosexuality, homosexuality, and bisexuality. They're saying that all three of those are completely equally valid and normal. I went on Amazon's website. I wanted to find out if there were children's books that you might buy that are affirming of this lifestyle. 
Here's, I, I was amazed at how many there actually were, but here's just a few of them. Now, this one was recommended for ages zero to five, birth to five. The title of the book is Daddy, Papa, and Me. This one was ages three to seven, entitled Heather Has Two Mommies. Ages three to seven, entitled They, She, He, Me, Free to Be. Now, here's one. It was a very innocent-looking book for ages 9 to 12, and it says George. And so when you look at the cover of it, man, it just looks, it just looks completely innocent. But when you read the story inside, George is a girl trapped in a boy's body, the author writes, and he wants to play the part of Charlotte in Charlotte's Web when they do the play, and the teacher won't let him because she's a he trapped in a boy's body another one for teens 13 and up let's talk about love and it talks about all of the various conventional sexual practices let me tell you a fourth thing society tells us they tell us that um, homosexuals deserve civil rights and protections now the key word there is civil okay I, I believe that every american has certain rights life liberty the pursuit of happiness okay i affirm that every american has rights but here's the issue there's a highly organized and financed movement called the gay rights movement. The gay rights movement teaches that gays are a minority people group that are being discriminated against and they liken themselves to blacks in the 1950s and 60s in the civil rights movement. Now, every black preacher of the gospel I know is offended that they would say that their plight is the same as the black American in the 1950s and 60s. Here's why. Black Americans have no choice. They're born black 100% of the time. But homosexuals choose a lifestyle based on their choice, their preference. Now, any discrimination due to the color of a person's skin is abomination. It is sin before God. But for a moral choice to be related to sexual preference and be called the same as racial injustice, that's not true. The last thing, and you certainly know this already, anybody who disagrees with them is called a crazy bigot. You're a homophobe if you don't affirm. Now, preparing this message, I really did pray that I wouldn't be harsh, that I wouldn't be condemning. Because that's not my heart. All I simply want to do today is to build a biblical case on what we should believe. That's my hope to accomplish. Um, in the public arena, if you speak out on homosexuality, if you teach the biblical position, hold to the biblical position, you're going to be persecuted. And I believe there's a day you'll be, you'll be prosecuted. You remember the situation in Houston a, a, a few years ago I, was the da or the mayor wanted to to subpoena the pastor's sermons because of wanted to see if this is one of the things that that he had been teaching of course she couldn't do that but she wanted to because she was practicing a homosexual lifestyle i looked up the words tolerance and intolerance i want to give you their their dictionary definition all right because we are accused of being intolerant as christians when we hold to a biblical worldview Tolerance is defined as a fair, objective, and permissive attitude towards the opinions, beliefs, and practices that differ from one's own. Intolerance is defined as unwillingness to tolerate or respect opinions or beliefs contrary to one's own. Now, 
I ask you, are, are we the ones who are intolerant? I don't think so. Listen, I, I know some people that are, that are gay. If they want to live that way, that's fine. I'm going to witness to them. I'm going to share the love of Christ with them. I'm not going to treat them any differently than I treat anybody else, any differently than I treat you. But those who are militant in the homosexual lifestyle don't give us the same freedom. We're called names when we hold to a biblical worldview. That's the definition of intolerance. And so it's not us that are being intolerant. Listen, when you speak biblical, that doesn't mean you want to kill off all gays or ship them off to another country. We allow them to live as they choose. They should allow us to believe what we believe. All right, so that's what culture, culture insists that we understand. Let's talk about what our Creator teaches. Now, when I say our Creator teaches, I'm operating under the assumption that 2 Timothy 3.16 is true, that all Scripture is inspired by God. All right? Because I'm going to be giving you Scripture references that I believe come from our Creator. The first thing you should understand is our Creator teaches that all homosexual behavior is sin. Besides our text, which is very clear, let me give you one from the Old Testament, Leviticus 18.22. Do not lie with a man as one lies with a woman. That is detestable. Now this is part of the Hebrew law. God says it's detestable. That a man ought not sleep with a man the same way that he sleeps with a woman. If you want to know what our Creator thinks about the practice of homosexuality, read Genesis chapter 18. Sodom, the city of Sodom was filled with those who are practicing homosexual lifestyles. You know the story. They, they, they come to the house and they, they insist that the guests be sent out so they can know them sexually. God rained down fire and brimstone on Sodom because of the sin of homosexuality. It's, it's very clear in Genesis 18. Some argue that since homosexuality has always been around, we ought to accept it. Well, sin has always been around since Genesis 3. Does that mean we need to accept it? In fact, that very first family, Adam and Eve, they had some sons, and in Genesis 4, one of them murdered the other one. Since murder's always been around, does that mean we should accept it? I mean, it's the same argument. Just because there's always been murders doesn't mean that we should accept the idea of murder. Now, I'm not equating the two. I'm just saying that the logic of it doesn't make sense. There's only one person who can call a behavior sinful, and he did in his word. And that's God. God created sex for marriage between a man and a woman. Any other sexual practice, as Chris Broussard said, is a perversion of God's standards. Now, you don't have to believe the Bible, okay? God doesn't say, I insist that you believe this. I mean, it's truth. But God gives you the, cho the choice. Everybody here today will either leave affirming what Scripture teaches or affirming what culture teaches. Nobody's going to be a fence straddler. Because to not affirm what God teaches is to, in essence, affirm what culture teaches. Secondly, homosexual temptation, our Creator says, can be stymied. People are not born that way. But there are people that struggle with homosexual tendencies. Do you know anybody that struggles with alcoholic tendencies? Sure you do. But how do they get free of that? First, they admit they have a problem. Then they celebrate their first day of sobriety. 
their second day of sobriety, their third day of sobriety, and with God's help, they live a sober life the rest of their life. That's how they are, that's how they are set free, if you would. That's how they deal with the tendency, the, the temptation to the tendency. You know, we all have certain sins. We all have certain tendencies. I know men that have a tendency towards pornography. I, I know people that have a tendency towards gossip. Hebrews 12.1 says, Let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily entangles us. I believe that every temptation can be resisted. Do you believe that this morning? I'm going to show it to you biblically. Every temptation can be resisted. 1 Corinthians 10.13. Now, before I read it, I want you to understand this is a verse that is often used out of context. People make it say one thing when it says something completely different. All right? 1 Corinthians 10.13 says this, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, He will provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Clearly, the context that Paul is writing in is temptation. But we've all heard, I heard it this week, we've all heard people say, oh, God won't put more on you than you can bear. That's not true. He puts more on us than we can bear so that we turn to him. Job had more than he could bear. We could give you lots of people in Scripture that had more than they could bear. This is a verse dealing with temptation. And it simply says that with every temptation, there are two doors. One is marked entrance, one is marked exit, and you choose which one you walk through. That's all it teaches. Now, I'm going to rock your boat here for just a minute. But hang with me. Don't, don't just quickly brush this aside. Did you know that Jesus battled sexual temptation the same way you and I do? Now you say, ah, preacher, I'm not sure about that. You've got to show me that in the Word. Hebrews chapter 4 is talking about Jesus being our high priest, and here's what it says in verse 15. He has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. That's, that scripture clearly says that every temptation that you face and every temptation that I faced, he faced, and yet he chose not to sin. He lived perfectly. And so temptation can be stymied. It can be set aside and resisted. Third, our Creator teaches that a practicing homosexual is spurning God's truth. The key word here is practicing. All right, You can have a tendency and resist it. As I said, we know people that have a tendency towards alcohol or alcoholism. But, but this particular lifestyle, let me, let, me tell you, let me tell you how sin works. James 1.15 tells us how not just this lifestyle, but every sin works. Here's what it says. Then after desire, some of your translations say lust. Then after desire or lust has conceived, in other words, you begin to think about it, it gives birth, if you don't deal with the thought, if you don't take captive the thought, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full-grown, grown, gives birth to death. Listen, this is not a lifestyle. This is a death style that they're practicing. The end result is separation from the Lord God. Now, if I stop the sermon right here, I have completely missed the boat. If, if this is all we're going to talk about, then... I never should have preached this topic in the first place. The third point is the most significant for you and I. 
And that's the Christian response. The Christian response. There are three ways that we must, hear me, not three ways that we should, three ways that we must respond. And they build on one another. And so when you hear the first one, don't, don't pass judgment on it until you hear the next one. All right? The first way that we must respond is we need to repent of the sin of rejecting homosexuals. We need to repent of the sin of rejecting them. We'll never have the opportunity to minister to somebody if we completely reject them. We tend to put a scarlet letter around the necks of people who practice certain sins. You let somebody come who's had a substance abuse problem or an alcohol problem, and they come to the church for help, what will we do? We'll pray with them, we'll pray for them, and we'll love them, right? You let somebody get caught in an act of adultery, now, we don't approve of that, but if they come to the church and seem repentant, what do we do? We pray with them, we pray for them, and we love them. But there are sins like the sin of homosexuality that if someone like that shows up, we should still pray with them and pray for them and love them. We need to repent of the sin of completely rejecting them. Sin is sin, guys, and your sin is no sweeter smelling in the nostrils of God than any other sin. Now that probably makes you uncomfortable to think of that, but the second thing we need to do is to receive sinners without approving their sin. You can receive somebody. I'm not talking about membership. I'm just talking about receiving them without approving of their sin. Now, I'm going to admit, that is tough to do. I can't do it on my own. You can't do it on your own, I don't believe. But Jesus can do it through us. In fact, Jesus was the master at receiving sinners without approving their sin. You remember Luke 15, what the Pharisees accused him of being guilty of? Verse 2 says, The Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. They said, Jesus, you're guilty of hanging around with the wrong crowd. People who are practicing wrong lifestyles. Why did Jesus do that? Because Jesus knew that he loved them. He's going to die for them. But he also knew they could change. We should have that. Attitude. I mean, think about when he went to Jericho. Zacchaeus, the little tax collector, climbs up in the tree to see him. Does Jesus stop at the tree and look up and say, Zacchaeus, as soon as you pay back everybody that you've robbed, then I'll come to your house for dinner? No, that's not what he did. What did he do? He said, Zacchaeus, come down because we're going to your house today. And at the end of the meal together, because Jesus had loved him the way he was, had received him the way that he was, at the end of the meal, Zacchaeus, what does he do? He says, I'm going to pay everybody back four times anything I've stolen from them. That's, that's receiving the sinner without accepting the sin. And that's the example. Jesus is the master at doing that. If we want to be like Jesus, we need to say, everybody's welcome here. Come where you can meet Jesus who changes us from the inside out. Now, we have to accept them without approving of their sin. But Jesus can do that through us because he's the pro. The third thing we must do is recognize that God can forgive and change any sinner. 
He can forgive and change any sinner. Do you think there'll be people who committed murder in heaven? Absolutely. I mean, I expect to meet Moses there. Moses murdered, right? Do, do you think there'll be people who committed adultery in heaven? Yes. David committed adultery with Bathsheba, but he repented of his sin. And the book of Acts says he was a man after God's own heart. Do you think there will be people who practiced homosexuality that will be in heaven? Yes. 1 Corinthians 6, Paul said, and such were some of you. They had been living that lifestyle, but they had come out of it. How? Because they were washed in the blood, sanctified by the Spirit, and justified by the Lord our God. Now, there are a lot of approaches I could have taken to this topic today. I could have spent time with where we are politically, and that would have been a worthwhile discussion, but that's not why we're here. I could have dealt with the subject psychologically and talked about the factors that help shape someone's sexual identity and behavior we could have it's a valid conversation but again that's not our purpose i could have spent time talking about a person's experiences i could tell you of sexual of, of homosexuals that are living miserable lifestyles and you could probably tell me some that are living very happy lifestyles but to base one's morality on feelings is foolish and so what I've done this morning is I've hopefully done my best to present to you the issue from a biblical perspective. I've never watched an episode of Will and Grace, the sitcom. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Um, Will is a homosexual and Grace is his female friend who accepts him. Don't think that the names Will and Grace were chosen by accident. He's named Will because the idea is that every homosexual ought to exercise their free will and live the way they want. And she's named Grace because they're teaching that every person should respond in grace to those in different lifestyles. Now, I've never seen an episode, so I don't want to talk about the sitcom Will and Grace. Their idea plays good on TV, but it doesn't play good biblically. Instead, what I hope to have talked about this morning is will and grace. The will of God and the grace of God. Where he can change any sinner into a saint. Father, I thank you that your word is very clear. Lord, I pray that I've been true to your word and that this has not been about my thought. Father, I pray today that I have represented your thought. That we've dealt with this subject according to your will. God, I do pray that you would help us to understand that sin is sin. And there's no sin better or worse in your eyes. And so God, help us to repent of the sin that's in our life before we look at the stick in another's eye. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.